Good evening, everybody. It is good to see y'all. I am so thankful to Mike Willoughby for filling in for me last week. I was a little bit under the weather, so I'm going to try not to get to preaching tonight, because if I do, I'll lose my voice again. So uh, I appreciate him filling in for me, though, and I, I'm excited to study uh, about God with y'all tonight. So let's go ahead and start with a prayer. Father, we thank you so very much for another opportunity to open up the scriptures and to be in awe of who you are and what you have done for us, what you are doing for us, and what you will do for us because we are your people by your grace and through your mercy. And Father, we pray that as we open up the scriptures that we will stand in awe of you, that we will live in grateful receiving of your grace and your mercy. Father, we pray that you be with those that are sick and those that are hurting, those that can't be with us tonight, and pray that you bless them with healing. Father, we thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so if you haven't been with us, we have been studying some of the attributes of God and talking about uh, who God is and then reflecting on what that means for our life and, and how do we live in response to who God is. And what we've been saying since the beginning, sort of my theme uh, for this class is that Christian theology begins and ends with Jesus, right? Christian theology begins and ends with Jesus, that if we want to know who God is, we look at Jesus. Jesus is the perfect representation of who God is. Jesus is the embodiment of all of God's attributes. So if we want to know who God is and how we should respond to him in faithfulness, we look at the person of Jesus because Jesus is God in human form. So that's something we've been thinking about and talking about all, all of this class, but I want to start as we normally do with a couple of discussion questions. The first one is this, what are some things that you cannot know? What are some things that you cannot know? Not that God cannot know, but that you cannot know, that a human cannot know. What's that? The future, yes, the future, yes. We cannot know the future, right? All we know is the present. What else? And maybe the past, right? What else? What else can you not know? What somebody else is thinking. Yeah, absolutely. What somebody else is thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yes, other people's motivations. So we not only can't know their thoughts, but we can't know their heart and their feelings and their motivation either. Yeah, absolutely. Good. What else? What will tomorrow bring? Yeah, absolutely. We don't even know the next day, much less long-term future, right? We don't even know the next day. And, and even just kind of break that down for just a second, that knowing the future or not knowing the future, what, what aspects of that could give us pause? What aspects of the future would we like to know, but we can't know? What are some of the aspects of the future? Whose future don't we know and we might like to know? Our, our personal future, right? We, don't, we can't know our personal future. We don't know what tomorrow holds for us. We don't know when we'll die. We don't know how long we'll live. We don't know what's going to transpire between now and the time of our, our death. We, there's lots of things about our own personal future that we don't know. What else? What other aspects of the future would we like to know but we just can't know? Anything come to mind? What's that? When, yeah, absolutely. When the Lord will return. Absolutely. 
when the Lord will return. Anything else that you'd like to know about the future besides winning lottery ticket numbers? What, what else? What would we like to know? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Our children, their future, the people that we love, right? We'd like to know what's in store for them. How do I prepare them for what's going to happen in their life? Wouldn't that be nice to know that if you knew that your kids were going to go through some crisis or, or have some struggle or have some difficulty, if you knew ahead of time, then maybe you could prepare them for that. But you, you don't know what's, what's coming up for your kids or for your grandkids or for anybody that you love. What else? Yeah, absolutely. When we will die, for sure. We don't even know the, the day of our, own, of our own death. What about, what about like the future of the world or the future of the country? We, we get pretty, pretty scared about that sometimes, just thinking about what if the future holds this or what if the future holds that. And a lot of our worry, a lot of our worry is about the future, isn't it? Most of our worry is about the future. In fact, some say that, that worry is a mental picture of what you don't want to happen, right? It's drawing this mental image of what you don't want to happen. So we're thinking about the future and we're saying this might be the future. Of course, most of the futures about which we worry never actually come to pass, but sometimes they do. Sometimes the, the future that we dread, we don't want this to happen, sometimes it happens, but a lot of times it doesn't. But if we knew the future, we could at least be confident about what the future held, but we don't know. For, the, for our own personal future, or the future of the country, or the future of the world, or the future of our family, what else? Anything else that you could think of? Things that we cannot know that we might want to know? What's that? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And we've talked some about that in this class, the incomprehensibility of God. So there's a lot of things about God that we don't know. That reminds me of Job. You remember when Job spends the, the entire book saying, I wish God would show up and I could question him. If God would just show up, then I can lay out my complaints to God. And then finally God shows up and he says, okay, let's talk. And he says, okay, Job, where were you when I did this? And where were you when I did this? And where were you when this happened? And of course, Job has no answer. And he says, okay, never mind. I'll, I'll stop talking now. And, and that's the whole thing is that there's so much about what God has done or what God thinks or the mind of God that we don't know. What else? Anything else that you can think of? We talked a lot about the future, but there's also an aspect of the past that we don't know, right? There's so many things that we don't know. That, things I would love to know, both in world history, but also just in my own family's history, right? So many days that I wasn't there to experience. My grandparents, what were they like? What, what, or my great-grandparents, rather. What, what were they like, and, and what motivated them, and, and how did they live their life, and, and what did they do? Or my great-great-grandparents, or all of these things. What did they experience? What were their daily lives like? We might know one or two or three stories about some of our ancestors, but there's so much of who they were that we don't get to experience. And unless we were told a story or saw a picture or read a book, then we don't know what happened in the past. And so if we weren't there to experience it, we don't know a lot about what happened in the past. Okay, second question. So there are some things that we cannot know, but there's also some things that we're pretty glad other people don't know, right? So what are some of the things that you would not want someone knowing about, not necessarily you, I know you're not gonna tell me that, but that's the whole point, but what are some of the things that are true about us 
some of the things that we know that we're kind of glad other people don't know in general, general, not specifics. I don't want to know the specifics. Our past, absolutely. The things that we've done in our past. There's, there's some things that we, we wouldn't want to wear a t-shirt with all of the things that we've ever done on it, right? There's some things that we wouldn't want everybody to know about our past. We know that, but we're pretty glad nobody else knows that, right? What else? What's that? What you think about other people, absolutely. So there's a lot of things that we think in our mind that we're pretty glad that other people can't hear our thoughts, right? And maybe, maybe even the people that are closest to you, you're, you're kind of glad that they don't always hear or always know what you're thinking, right? So, so there are some of our thoughts that we're pretty glad other people can't see and other people can't hear and other people can't know. What else? Anything else you can think of? Kind of related to what was said earlier about we can't know other people's feelings or motivations, right? We're kind of glad maybe sometimes that other people don't know our motivations because we might be doing the right thing and we know I'm probably not doing that for the right reason and our motivation is probably not what it should be. Our heart is not what it should be and we're kind of glad that other people can't see our motivation because our heart isn't where it should be. So our mistakes, our thoughts our feelings, so that we are very limited in our knowledge, aren't we? But God is, of course, God is omniscient. God is omniscient, which means God knows everything, including everything that we cannot know. So all of the things that we listed that we cannot know, God knows those things. And, and God knows all of the things that we don't want anyone else to know. So all those things also that we mentioned that we're glad other people don't know, our thoughts, our feelings, our past, our mistakes, our secrets, God knows all of those. So there really are no secrets with him. There, there are no secret thoughts or secret feelings or secret deeds that God doesn't know. And also all of the things that we wish we could know about the future or about things that have happened when we weren't present, things that we haven't learned about, God knows all of those things. So God knows everything that we can't know and he knows everything that we're glad other people don't know about us. And I would say that that omniscience of God, the fact that God is omniscient and that God knows everything is both humbling and comforting, isn't it? The omniscience of God is both humbling and comforting. Humbling on the one hand, obviously, because God knows everything about us that we wouldn't want anyone else to know. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 14. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 14 says, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now, again... I mean, on the, on the one hand, even that can be comforting because there are some horrible, horrible things that have happened in the world, maybe even horrible, horrible things that happened to you where you were the victim of someone else's crime, the victim of someone else's sin, and no one else knows about it. There was no witness to that crime. And certainly in the world, in world history, there have been countless crimes that have been committed, rapes and murders, 
extortions and robberies and all kinds of horrible things that have happened to which there have been no human witnesses, right? And that's heartbreaking, isn't it? To think that there are some crimes that have been committed and the person seems to have gotten away with it scot-free, that nobody saw it, nobody held that person accountable, and especially, especially if you're the victim and you know that this happened to you and no one was there to witness it. And maybe when you tried to tell somebody about it, nobody believed you or you were afraid to tell somebody about it because you were afraid no one would believe you. And so it brings a great deal of comfort to know that every crime does have a witness, a perfect witness. The judge himself witnesses every single crime that has ever taken place. And there's a, there's a part of that that's incredibly comforting, isn't it? To know that there will be no such thing as injustice. On the day of judgment, there will be no injustice. Even if there is a, an injustice that happens in our lifetime, or even an injustice that happens over centuries, in the grand scheme of things, there will be no injustice. Every deed will be judged. Every secret thing will be laid bare. And God has already seen it, and God will hold people accountable. And so on the one hand, we can say, praise God, that is wonderful and awesome. But then on the other hand, we have to deal with the fact that we have secrets too, right? We've done things that we're glad we don't have to wear a t-shirt that says all of the things that we've ever done. But God has seen those things. God has seen the things that we've done. God has seen everything that we do, everything that we have done, even the things that are secret. And not only that, but God knows what nobody else can know. Not even your spouse, not even your parents, not even your kids, not even your best friend in the whole world. God can see and hear our thoughts and our feelings. God knows our hearts now, I've sometimes heard people sort of excuse, I haven't heard this in a long time, but there was a time when I would hear people kind of excuse their sin by saying, ah, you know, I, I know that's bad or I know that's wrong, but God knows my heart. As if to say, well, my heart is really much better than my actions. That's not true, is it? Our heart isn't better than our actions. Our heart is always worse than our actions. Jesus says, it's from your heart that all of these things come. From, from your heart come all of these sins. All of these things come out of your heart. In fact, you might not have ever murdered anybody in, in the flesh, but in your heart, you have. If you've hated someone, you've essentially murdered them in your heart. You've wished that they were dead. And, and so Jesus says it's from your heart that, come, that all of these things come out of. That, and that's what defiles you, is what comes out of your heart and what comes out of your, your mouth. But it all proceeds from your heart. And here's the thing. God knows our hearts. God knows our thoughts. God knows the secret things that happen in our mind. Jesus says to the Pharisees in Luke 16 and verse 15, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. We may be able to fool people, and we all do, don't we? We all have some people fooled. Sometimes we even have ourselves fooled. Sometimes we sort of fool ourselves about our own heart, about our own motivations. Sometimes we're not even a really good judge of our own hearts or our own minds or our own thoughts. 
We don't even really know what we want. I, I'm always joking about that, but some days I want to eat a, a gallon of ice cream and other days I want to be in, in shape, right? And so what I want changes from moment to moment. I don't even know what I really want. I'm not even a really good judge of my own heart and my own mind. And God knows every single thought I've ever had, every single motivation I've ever had, everything that's on my heart, everything that's on my mind. I can fool some people, but I can't fool God. Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 2, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. See, and here's the thing. We're afraid. Most of us are sort of afraid that if anybody actually knew all of those things about us, all of the things that we've ever done, that if we were to put a t-shirt, wear a t-shirt with every sin we've ever committed, with every, with every crime we've ever committed, and, and not only the things that we've done, but the things that we've thought, the things that are on our mind and on our heart, those thoughts that we had, even just the ones for a fleeting moment, we're afraid if people really knew that, if anybody really knew that, if even our spouse knew all of those things about us, if anybody really knew us to the core of ourself, all of our secret deeds, all of our secret thoughts, all of our secret feelings, that they would reject us. That's our fear, isn't it? And that's why we sort of wear a mask and we sort of hold people at a distance because we don't want them to know us that well. We don't want them to know what we've done. We don't want them to know what we think. We don't want them to know how we feel. And we've, we've ever had a thought about which we're ashamed, and we think, why, why do I think that way? Why do I feel that way? We're, we're really glad that they can't hear our thoughts, but sometimes we're kind of afraid that they can. I hope they don't know what I'm thinking right now. And we're afraid if somebody really knew us that they would reject us. And here's the most comforting, to me, the most comforting part of God's omniscience is that God knows everything you've ever done, everything you've ever said, everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever felt, and he loves you anyway. That gives me chills. God doesn't reject you. He knows everything you've ever done. He knows every secret you've had. You, you think that you've got him fooled, but you don't. God knows everything you've ever done. And he knows you better than you even know yourself. He knows your heart and your motivation and your thoughts better than you know them. And he loves you anyway. He doesn't reject you. He says, I want a relationship with you. Listen to a passage from Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. This is after the flood. And you've probably heard me read this before. But Genesis 8, starting verse 21, it says, when the Lord, this is Noah offers up the sacrifice to the Lord. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is perfect now because I got rid of all the bad people, right? I, we killed all the bad people in the flood and now it's just Noah and his crew and they're good and the thoughts and the intentions of their heart is always good from their youth. Is that what it says? No. God says, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. But neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. I'm, I'm not going to wipe everyone out ever again because I know this is the way people are. I know their weakness. 
I know the weakness not only of their deeds, but I know the weakness of their mind. I know the weakness of their heart. I know that from the time they are a kid, they struggle with evil and sin. And I love them anyway. And I'm going to bear with them anyway. I want a relationship with them anyway. Even though the thoughts and the intentions of their heart are evil from their youth, I love them anyway. Now, imagine what that would do for us if we were to change the way we think about God in that respect. Because sometimes we even try to keep God at arm's length. We try to keep God at a distance. Now, I wish that it wasn't true about people in our life, because if you wore a shirt with all of your sins, I guarantee there are some people like, oh, not hanging out with them anymore. And I wish that wasn't true. I wish that I could tell you, no, 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 people won't reject you if they knew everything about you. But we know people do that for whatever reason, even though their shirt is just as long and they have just as many things that they've done. But the perfect God knows all of those things about you. And sometimes we think we could just kind of keep, or if God really knew, and he does, he knows every single thing about you. He knows every evil thought you've ever had. He knows every twisted motivation you've ever had. He knows when you've done the right thing for the wrong reason and when you've done the wrong thing for the wrong reason. He knows everything about you and he says, I want a relationship with you anyway. I mean, just think about the entire story of Israel. That's what the story of Israel is all about, isn't it? God brings Abraham and his people into a covenant relationship with himself, not because they're great, not because they're perfect, not because they don't struggle with sin, but because he chooses them. That's why I chose you. That's why. Not because of who you are, but because of who I am, because of my character. And through you, I'm going to bless all nations of mankind and bring everybody into this kind of relationship. And what did Israel do the entire time? They, what does Israel mean? Wrestles with God, right? And that's what Israel did, wrestled with God the entire time. And he'd pull them close and they'd run away. They'd pull them close and they'd run away. He'd pull them close. And he says, I want a relationship with you anyway. I know what you've done. I know how you've thought. I know the thoughts and the intentions of your heart, but I want a relationship with you anyway. That's our omniscient God. Our omniscient God knows everything about us and wants a relationship with us anyway. And he knows, and he says, here's what you need. You need a new heart. You need a new mind. You need a new spirit. In Ezekiel chapter 36, God gives them the promise that I will sprinkle clean water on you. I'm going to take away all of your sin. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I will transform you. That's the promise of the gospel, isn't it? God says, I know all of your mistakes. I know all of the things you did on accident. I know all the things you did on purpose. I know all the things that you kept a secret. I know all the things that people found out about you. I know your shame. I know your guilt. I know your crimes. I know your sins. I know your heart. I know your mind. And I love you anyway. And I want to not only forgive you, but transform you, sanctify you. I want to give you a new heart. I want to give you a new mind. And it's not going to be an immediate process where you just go down to the water and you come up and you're perfect. I'm going to work on you. I'm going to work in you. I'm going to work with you. Not because I don't know you, but because I do and I love you. Isn't that amazing? That's our omniscient God. 
Sometimes when we just talk about God's omniscience and we just stop with how humbling it is, and it is humbling that God knows all of our deeds and God knows all of our hearts and our our thoughts, but it's also comforting because he knows us and he loves us and he wants to transform us. And it's also comforting because God knows the future and he's made promises concerning the future. That was true both when God was working with Israel and in the New Testament. Look at Jeremiah chapter 29. This is a verse we we sort of throw out all the time, Jeremiah chapter 29. Now, the context is not when somebody graduated from high school and God says, I know the plans I have for you. You can use it like that if you want to. But, but God is saying to Israel, to the Jewish people who are in Babylonian captivity, and they're going to be there for a very long time. They're going to be there for two generations, essentially, at least. Some of them are going to be there a lot longer than that. And because they've got these false prophets that are telling them, don't worry about this. I mean, don't, don't even settle in here in Babylon. We're going back to Jerusalem. Just, just hang out just a few months or whatever, and we're going to be going back. And Jeremiah says, no, it's going to be 70 years. You're, you're, you're here for the, for the duration. You're here for, for a long period of time. But God says, long term, in the future, I know. He says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then, verse 12, then you will call upon me and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place which I sent you into exile. And of course, God is speaking collectively. He's not talking to any one individual. I know the plans I have for you. He's talking to the whole group. Some of them are gonna die in Babylon, But as a group, he's going to bring them back, and he has plans for their future. See, and that's a comforting thing, isn't it? To know that I don't know the future, but God does. In fact, our our thought, in fact, I I love time travel. That's really nerdy of me, but I love time travel movies. I love movies where somebody finds out the future, and they know what's going to happen because they saw a vision, or they got some sort of message about the future, or they traveled to the future. But what always ends up happening is that they see this future that they want to avoid, but then by trying to avoid it, they end up causing it, right? Because we know, even in art, we know that we're really bad at guiding our own life, aren't we? We're really bad at guiding our own life. And even if we knew the future, even if we knew this is what's going to happen in 10 years, this is what's going to happen in 20 years, here's what's going to happen in 100 years, here's what's going to happen in 200 years, here's what's going to happen in 100 years, here's what's going to happen in 200 years, even if we knew that, we'd still mess it up. Even if we knew, don't do this because here's going to be the result, we'd still mess it up. I mean, Israel is a perfect example of that. God told them over and over again, don't do this, here's going to be the consequences, and they did it anyway. And we're the same way. Even if we knew the future, we'd mess it up. So what's comforting isn't us knowing the future or us not knowing the future. What's comforting is knowing that God knows the future. And God says, listen, I have a plan for you, Israel. I have a plan for you. I'm going to bring you back home. I'm going to bless you. I'm not done with you yet. I haven't thrown you out. Here's what the future holds for our people. And what we know now, looking back, is that their future held not just coming back to Israel, not just getting their fortunes back, but far more than that was the riches that are in Christ Jesus. 
And that his plan for Israel was not only to bring them home, but was to bring through them the Messiah that would bless all nations of mankind. God knew that, and there was nothing they could do to mess it up. God was going to, I mean, they could mess it up for themselves individually, but God was going to make sure that his will was done. And if, if as individuals, they were people of faith, they could sort of sit back and say, oh, cool, you got this. All I have to do is to be faithful. As long as I live, if I live in Babylon, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna make my home here. I, I know we're gonna be here for 70 years and then after that, God's got, got something in store and God's gonna do a great thing and I'm just gonna trust him. I won't live to see it, but I'm gonna trust him with the future. Isn't that what we said a few weeks ago when we looked at the, looked at the book of Ecclesiastes that we control the output, but God controls the outcome? That we just control what we do, but God controls how it turns out. And aren't we glad? And he knows the future. We don't. All we see is this little tiny snippet of right now. Right now, this is all we see. But God sees everything. And all we have to do is be faithful. And if we're faithful, we know that God has got it covered. God is going to make sure it all works out. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. I know this probably isn't where we would normally turn talking about the omniscience of God, but I think it's, it's an amazing text to think about this, this thought process in. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Paul says to these Christians living in Ephesus, God, God knew about us. Again, he's not talking about any one individual saying God predestined you or God chose you. There's nothing you could do about it. That's not what he's saying. He's saying God chose the church. This was always God's plan. If you just read the story of Israel, you'd be like, man, this thing is a roller coaster. It's up and it's down and it's all over the place. But it was never out of control. God was always making sure that everything was going to end up exactly as he wanted it to. And for those that were faithful, for the remnant of people who were faithful, all they had to do was for their lifetime, for their little snippet of the story, just be faithful. The one who knows the future controls the future. All you have to do is just be faithful. And so Paul says, God knew, God chose us in him. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Isn't that exciting? That God chose the church before the foundation of the world, God knew. There's nothing that takes God by surprise. There's nothing in God says, oh man, I didn't factor in the whole COVID thing. I had no idea that was coming. God doesn't say that. It takes us by surprise, but it doesn't take him by surprise. Everything, every war that's ever been waged, every earthquake that's ever happened, every hurricane, every tornado, every famine, every drought, every plague, everything, God knew that it was coming. God knew all of this was coming, and he prepared. And through all of this, God's will is going to be done. And the one who knows the future controls the future. And all we have to do is trust him. He chose us before the foundation of the world. He says in verse, uh, rest of verse 4, in love, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. 
Now, there's so many aspects of that, and I love Ephesians because it's so rich. But notice how he says over and over again, he predestined us for adoption. This was God's predetermined plan. God always has a plan. And God is always working his plan. You don't have to know his plan for his plan to work out. Isn't that a relief? You don't have to know his plan for his plan to work out. The one who knows the future controls the future. He predestined us for adoption as saints. He has a plan and his plan isn't done yet. In the age to come, he is going to lavish on us all of his riches, the riches of his grace. He isn't done yet. This isn't the end of the story. This is just a pit stop along the way. And God knows the future and is controlling the future in all his wisdom and insight. We all want to be wise. We all want to have insight. We all want to be the ones to choose and predestine. But I'm kind of glad that we're not because we'd mess it up. I'm glad we don't know the future. All we know is the present because all we have to do is be faithful in the present. Look at verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. Now, the mystery of his will is that the Gentiles got included in on the family story, and it kind of took some of them by surprise. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Paul kept having to remind the people of his day, you didn't have to know this was coming for this to be the plan of God. This plan to have Jews and Gentiles in the same family, it took you by surprise and you don't know how to deal with it. And you're struggling to figure out how to deal with it This was always God's plan. This was always his purpose. This was always the predetermined plan of God, and God worked everything according to his plan. And so where we are right now, God knew this was coming, and he knows what's coming next, and he knows what's coming in the ultimate future. So that, verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the, I love this part, he is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. He is the guarantee of our what? Inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Guess what? You don't have everything you're going to have in Christ Jesus. You have an inheritance that's coming and it is guaranteed. And your down payment, your guarantee that this inheritance is coming and that you will acquire possession of it is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is your guarantee that you will acquire the inheritance that God has for you. So you don't have to worry about the future. If you knew, even in an earthly sense, if you knew I'm, I'm really poor right now, and I, I can't afford to pay my bills, but I know, I know that at some point in the future, I'm going to have an inheritance. My Uncle Bill or my Uncle George, he's going to give me X number millions of dollars, and he's going to, I know this inheritance is coming, and if you knew for sure that it was coming, but you just didn't know when, it would be a comfort, wouldn't it? And God says, forget Uncle Bill's millions of dollars, 
you have an inheritance that you can't even wrap your mind around. And you will acquire possession of it. And the Spirit is given to you as a guarantee that that future is guaranteed. That future will come to pass. The one who knows the future controls the future. This is your future if you are in Christ Jesus. So your job in the present is just be faithful. Trust him. Trust him. And now in Christ Jesus, you're given the the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. This is your future. This is your inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Does that mean it's always easy? No, of course not. It's hard not knowing what comes next. It's hard not knowing what comes tomorrow, what comes 10 years from now, what comes 100 years from now. It's hard not knowing. But the good news is there is someone who knows, and it's someone who can deal with the future. And even if you knew, it would just drive you crazy. You don't want to know what the future holds. You can't handle it, but God can, and the one who knows the future controls the future. So here's something that I want us to end with. God knows you better than you know yourself. God knows you better than you know yourself. And he loves you more than you love yourself. Isn't that amazing that we can still, most of us, some of us struggle with this, I know, we can find ways to love ourselves, even though we know all of the things that we've done, all the things that we thought, all of the things that we've we've felt, all of our secrets, We still find a way to feed ourselves and clothe ourselves and take care of ourselves because at least in some sense, we still love ourselves. We may struggle to love ourselves, but here's the thing. God knows you better than you know yourself and he loves you more than you love yourself. That's good news, isn't it? He knows you. You have no secrets with him. He knows you. And instead of rejecting you for knowing you so well, he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He loves you more than you love yourself, and he sees your future more clearly than you do. So trust him. That's the gospel, isn't it? He knows you better than you know yourself. He loves you more than you love yourself, and he knows your future more clearly than you do. He knows your your, your future. He sees your future more clearly than you do. You think you know the future. Oh, oh, I'm afraid this is going to happen or this is going to happen or that's going to happen. You really don't know, but he does. So trust him. Trust the one who knows your future. Trust the one who knows you better than you know yourself and loves you more than you love yourself and knows your future more clearly than you do. Trust him. And if you're in Christ Jesus, you know that your inheritance is coming and you have the Spirit as a guarantee. Not only as a guarantee, but as God's way of sanctifying you between now and then. God is working on you to change you, to transform you, to sanctify you, to make you more like himself because that's how much he loves you. When he got to know you, he didn't reject you. He said, I want to put my spirit in you to transform you and I want to give you a home with me forever. And knowing all of those things actually helps us to be more vulnerable with each other, doesn't it? When we know that the one who knows me better than I know myself loves me more than I love myself, then it it helps us to be more vulnerable with each other because now I can tell you some of the things that I've done in my past and it doesn't really matter whether you accept me or reject me because God accepts me and he loves me. I, I can tell you some of the things I struggle with in my mind and my heart and it's okay if you don't accept me because God does and he loves me. And so that's our goal is to trust the one who knows all of these things 
and loves us and wants a relationship with us. So with that in mind, let's pray. Father, we thank you for being all-knowing, for revealing some of your knowledge to us. And Father, help us to take that knowledge in, to walk in your ways. Father, thank you for knowing us and continuing to love us. Thank you, Father, for knowing the future and giving us guarantees about the future. Thank you, Father, for your forgiveness and your mercy and your grace. Thank you, Father, for your spirit. Thank you, Father, for your son who makes all of this possible, for adopting us into your family, for allowing us to be part of the plan that you had since before the world was formed. Father, we pray that as we go from this place, we will be humbled by your foreknowledge, that we will be more obedient because of what you know about us, that we will be comforted by your knowledge of us and your love for us, that we will be more vulnerable with you and more vulnerable with each other. Thank you, Father, for these blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.